baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Thank you for tuning in to Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930 WBEN. I'm Randy Bushover. The program highlighting local businesses and services in the region. And if there's a local business or service you'd like to hear from, send me an email at randy.bushover at intercom.com. Joined by Jamie Fiegel, who is a partner with Fiegel, Carr, and Joyce. And one of the things that we wanted to touch base uh, with you on has to do with more of a focus concerning DWI and DUI at the border. And it's complicated because, depending on what side of the border you're on, there are different rules, I guess, necessarily. Is that the best way of describing it, kind of in a nutshell? Yes, both countries have inadmissibility regulations where some sort of criminality or conviction that you would have could render someone who's Canadian inadmissible to the U.S. or someone who is a U.S. citizen inadmissible to Canada. These two things are different. A DUI or a DWI, any driving under the influence offense, should not affect directly um, the admissibility to the United States, but a U.S. citizen with any level of a driving under the influence offense uh, would be considered inadmissible under the criminality specifications to Canada. Is it too much to muddy things by saying, first of all, there could be complications from a Canadian who has a DWI, DUI conviction coming to the U.S., or that same Canadian having that DWI or DUI offense occurring here and then trying to get back into Canada? Are, the, are those two separate things? Those are those are separate things, but would not affect. So it would not affect the Canadian coming into the United States, maybe during the part where they were showing up for trial and things like that. There could be some issues that they had. But um, in terms of what the regulations are for immigration to the U.S. and to Canada, the Canadian would never be considered inadmissible to their own country since they are a Canadian citizen. So it would not affect that Canadian coming back into their own country. And also standards uh, different, I, I believe, what, 0.08 in New York State is the, the limit? Uh, in New York, yes. But remember, this is a de- driving under the influence conviction anywhere in the world. So it doesn't matter if it occurred in New York, in any other state, if it occurred in Germany. Um, it does make a difference if it occurred in Canada. There's a little bit of a different process. But um, if it occurred anywhere in the world, it still counts to be able to make you inadmissible to Canada. And another one of the underlying reasons that we're bringing this up, and it is such a big deal, has to do with enforcement, because both sides of the border, that enforcement has increased. Mm -hmm. The the ability of the border agents on both sides to be able to see criminal history has increased with their technology advancements. So now we're seeing more and more um, U.S. citizens who had been entering the entering Canada for frequently for years now seeing um, a heightened um, level of being pulled into secondary, reviewed, and determined to be inadmissible. And their determination shows that they were actually inadmissible for an extended period of time, 20 to 30 years. But now the enforcement action is finally catching up with them. Nothing in the immigration sector has changed in accordance with their inadmissibility. They were just, in essence, caught. And now that has been, uh, then that is given to them that information of how to fix it. Any specific reason behind this increased enforcement all of a sudden? 
well, there's a couple different theories. One of them is the technology. So now that information of the previous convictions from years ago and current are coming into the system on the Canadian side more often. And uh, so now that is being able to be found and uh, and addressed with the client where before they may have just been in primary booth when you drive up and speak to an immigration officer, uh, that information may have not been in that booth and privy to that officer at that time. But then now that information is getting into that booth and then that officer is asking those questions. Uh, The other reason we think is because officers are taking it upon themselves and also uh, sometimes being directed to ask the question, have you ever been arrested? Um, Policy wise, really, I don't I'm I've been told that that might not be the the most um, best way that the officers are supposed to be able to ask that question. But we know from clients who have been denied entry that it is being asked and it is being asked more often. If they lie and say no, and they get pulled into secondary and they are found out, that is a different issue than just the criminality then. Because then you misrepresented yourself to an officer, you lied to an officer. So there's more grounds for a denial and a bar into Canada at that point. Where if you tell the truth, the officer on the inside is more likely to be lenient on you, provide you instructions on what to do next, and then turn you around into the United States without any long-term um, ramifications. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, I know that uh, with other lawyers, we've discussed the whole what to do and or say when a cop pulls you over in a traffic stop, and all traffic stops not necessarily being the same, I understand. With the border situation, there's really not much recourse because they don't have to let you in or let you back. That's right. A lot of times people don't realize that you give up all your rights when you appear at a border, both at the U.S. and the Canadian side. So you don't have a right to remain silent. You don't have a right to privacy to your cell phone for a warrant or or anything of that matter. And you honestly don't have the right to an attorney unless you're actually placed under arrest. So there's no... um, Uh, ability for you to be able to make that statement of, I'm not going to cooperate with you. And if you don't cooperate or you don't tell the truth, then you can be um, denied entry to that country, or at worst, you can be excluded from that country, which would mean that you'd have a much more uphill process in regaining your admissibility after that point than you would have if you just cooperated and were honest. Speaking with Jamie Fiegel, partner with Fiegel Car and Joyce. This is Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930 WBEN. And uh, kind of a broad discussion on border issues concerning DWI, DUI, the uh, focus here for this segment. Uh, what about the penalties? Uh, I'm guessing, again, differing whether or not you're here on the uh, U.S. side or over there on the Canadian side. Um, Well, penalties in terms of how to fix your admissibility to Canada, it it depends on what remedy is available to you. So if you have one driving under the influence offense, and that's your only uh, conviction on your record in your lifetime, then if you count 10 years from the completion of the end of the sentence, then you're able to prove to the border that you're considered deemed rehabilitated. It's a legal jargon word, and it's within their, um, their immigration policy that says that you get basically a, a one-time free pass that we're going to forgive you for that non-serious crime. Um, now, a big thing with that is if your DWI or any driving under the influence offense occurred, so the day you were pulled over, after December 18th, 2018, you no longer get the benefit of the deemed rehabilitated provision. And the reason for that is, is that Canada increased their penalty for driving under the influence 
to greater, it could be greater than 10 years in prison. What that means is it kicked it into a serious crime for immigration purposes. So you can never be deemed rehabilitated from a serious crime. So anyone after December 18th, when they were pulled over, they have a completely different battle in front of them, long-term and short-term, than someone whose occurrence happened December 17th, 2018, and prior to that. Um, There's a couple different remedy options. Uh, If it has been less than five years since the end of the completion of their sentence, then their only option is a temporary resident permit. And the border is extremely stingy on those. They're very specific. It has to be a compelling reason for you to be able to enter. If it's been greater than five years, then you can file for rehabilitation at the consulate. It's very specific to be able to do that. There's um, legal work that actually has to be done. I think people, they look into the rehabilitation process on their own from the confusing Canadian website and they say to themselves, all right, well, I'll take a stab at it. And uh, I will say that there's a large amount of clients who have tried on their own and then they come back to me and I'm able to tell them, okay, well, there's some things that a lawyer would need to do on this case that how would you have the opportunity to be able to know how to do those things? Um, And then the deemed rehabilitated after 10 years. But if there's a multiple conviction there for, it could be a DWI or anything else. If you have more than one conviction, you're most likely kicking yourself out of that ability to be deemed rehabilitated. What other aspects have we not uh, gotten into yet or that that people should take into consideration? If I always tell my clients that the ability to go back into Canada should be taken really seriously. So if it's important to someone, then it's a cost-benefit analysis like any other business decision. Do you want to invest your time and your money into regaining that ability? How important is it to you? If it's not that important and you can say, you know what, I can live without Canada, then just know that you shouldn't be going to alleviate that issue for you if you were going to cross over because most likely you're going to get caught. But if it's something that's important to you and you need it for work or family or you own a home there, um, my best advice is to be proactive. You'd see how many clients that I have who haven't been caught yet who listen to my ads or they listen to me on the radio or the TV and they say, oh no, you know what? I think that applies to me. I better find out and make sure. And then they contact us for a consultation and I go through the evidence and say to them, yes, you know, you're right. You haven't been caught yet, but it's it's a ticking time bomb. There's it's only a matter of time. So we can do one of two things. We can be proactive and say, hey, I know I'm inadmissible even though I haven't been caught please forgive me and provide me with the documentation so I can re-enter. And we're very successful in those cases because the border is able to say to us, wow, we didn't even catch you, but you're coming forward to us with such honesty to say that you found out you're inadmissible and you want to be proactive. And they and they really have been good about that. Um, in terms of rehabilitation, it really, it's a little bit of a feather in your cap, but when it comes to border interaction, it's really important. Yeah, especially uh, because there is so much commerce that goes back and forth necessarily. So I'm guessing that uh, also among the things that you might advise people would be to use, uh, utilize some mass transportation maybe if you were planning some kind of extracurricular activity that involves alcohol between the two borders. Uh, sure, yeah. And, and as long as you've 
provided for another driver who is not partaking. Right, right. I mean, all of those things are are really important. And people joke with me all the time. Oh, if I ever get pulled over, I don't want anybody to get, no one should have to call me. (laughs) Don't drink and drive. Um, But, you know, in the, there, you'd be surprised how many stories that I have that I have learned so much about criminal law um, with people who have been just in a car that was turned on in a cold Buffalo winter when someone else was a designated driver, but they didn't, they felt like they needed to take a nap and they get um, charged with a driving under the influence offense. If you're in the position of a car without even that car moving and you are under the influence, you can get a conviction based upon that. So, um, you know, people are good people and good things happen to, to bad things happen to good people, you know, but um, there's, there's ways that we can overcome them. And everyone's story is key to getting an approval on these type of cases. Um, I'm a lawyer and I deal with the law, but uh, a big part of what I do is being able to tell each individual client's story to the consulate on their behalf so that they can see that this is a good person that does not pose a threat to Canada. The reason we have these laws is in place for Canada is to protect Canadians from harm. So, I mean, there's no prejudice like, oh, we don't like the U.S. and drinking, and it doesn't have anything to do with that. I feel like I have that conversation all the time. Canada loves the U.S. They do, trust me. But they they have these laws in place to protect the Canadian citizens from any risk of harm. So if we can tell the story of what happened to the client in terms of what happened during the event, um, it, it gives them the opportunity to see that this person is a good person. And then what else do they do in their life around that? Um, so that's that's a big part because the consulate rehabilitation applications don't have an in-person interview. So the documents that we submit have to speak on your behalf without you sitting there having a conversation with a consulate officer. What's the best way to get in touch with your office if someone else has further questions that we didn't bring up here yet? Um, you can schedule a consultation with me through my paralegal, Andrea. She'd be happy to help you with everything. You can get in touch with her um, by phone, 716-810-2121. Um, you can also go to our website at www.yourborderattorneys.com. Um, and you can schedule from there, or you can send me a note via our link that uh, is a little bit of an information about what your particular situation is, and I'll personally email you back with a little bit of an overview and some instructions. Sounds good. Very informative, and appreciate the time. Thank you. Jamie Fiegel, partner with Fiegel Car and Joyce. This is Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930, WBEN. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.